are confused, aren't you? Frightened. That's all right. I can help you. Who is this? I am a doctor. Now you must listen to me. You have lost your memory. There was an experiment. Something went wrong. Your memory was erased. Do you understand me? No, I don't understand. What the hell is going on here? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 114, and my guest this week to watch Dark City from 1998 is David Kadena. David, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing, uh, it's been fantabulous. Um, You know, one of the things I would have to say that this movie um, from 1998 is very 1998. Um, the pacing and all that stuff. So I'm really glad that I got to enjoy it um, as per the Plex server and foul-ups and everything else, all the adventures we've had to get to this point. And thank you for inviting me on your show, man. Uh, absolutely. So so you had not seen this movie before. Were you aware of it as a film? Did you know, had you heard about it and just it just sort of slipped by? Or what? what what's kind of your history with it, if any? Um, so... My history with this film, per se, is nada. Okay. Um, didn't even know anything about this film. I really enjoyed most of the actors in this film. Um, I've recognized most of them from, and especially, like, for me, um, I'm a big Rocky Horror Picture Show fan, mm. and Richard O'Brien was in it, so yes. I was super excited when I saw him. And, you know, watching, um, uh, you know, Edmond Dates and, and watching all these uh, other characters and Basically, this whole life cycle um, from Dark City and really t- trying to break it down. It, I will be 100% honest. It took me three tries to really get into it <laughs> because I started watching 20 minutes of it and the pacing wasn't exactly exciting for me mm-hmm. going into it. Um, and it was kind of predictable for me. Okay, But that's just because of other shows that definitely came past that movie. Right. You know? Uh, you kind of have a, a an idea of what's about to happen because of the lineage that it's had. Sure, sure. So, okay, quick question for you. You watched this. Did it open with a narration from Keith or Sutherland? Do you remember there being oh. a narration where he talks about first there was blackness, then there were the strangers? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yes, yes, yes. So, and the reason I ask that is that is the theatrical cut of the film. This movie came out in 1998. It was actually shot in 1996, which is something I want to touch on a little bit later um, because there's some okay. in- interesting uh, bits to that. But when they they showed it as a test screening and the results weren't bad, they were very mixed. And the director, Alex Proyas, even said that he kind of knew something wasn't going to be great about, like this wasn't going to be a movie for everyone based on the reactions because mm-hmm. he would look in the theater and he would see people kind of either half checked out or they were kind of fidgeting in their seats. Like they didn't want to get up and leave. They didn't hate it, but they also weren't super engrossed in it. So he kind of already knew that it wasn't going to be a movie for everybody. And the studio new line cinema made him put in that, uh, that voiceover to start things off. And Mm. they actually recut a little bit. So there is a director's cut of this that's available as well. Um, that ended up getting redone about 10 years after the movie came out. So around mid mid to late 2000s, 2008-ish. It changes a few things in the movie, but it doesn't change the overall narrative. It's not a drastic difference like, say, a Blade Runner director's cut or um, yeah. or something like that. What they did basically... Not even close to that. Like, they, they threw that... <laughs> they didn't add an extra two hours? No. They, they threw that voiceover in at the beginning, and the director's cut doesn't have that. And there's some things that are just kind of moved around in order. There's a couple of scenes, like all the scenes are there, but you might see the scene where the strangers come to the bathhouse where Kiefer Sutherland is in the is in the yeah. pool is at a different point in the movie. Or the, the theatrical cut opens up with that voiceover and then the whole city going to sleep. That doesn't happen in the director's cut until about 30 minutes in. What it does is it changes the tone of the movie. And you mentioning that you kind of had a little trouble getting into it with the pacing and all that. The director's cut pacing is actually a little bit more deliberate. Um, It takes itself, 
it takes a little more time kind of setting everything up by not immediately telling you there were these things that showed up and they rearranged yeah. the city and, and laying all that out for you. Now you are more like John Murdoch and you're figuring it out as the movie goes along. So he's, we're a half an hour into the movie and then he sees the whole city go to sleep and he's confused. And yeah. And then, uh, you know, you're finding out and what it did was it extended certain scenes. Like the, some of them were the cutting. Cause I watched, I ended up watching both versions, um, prior to the show today in part because I really wanted to see those differences between them. I knew you were watching the theatrical or I was pretty sure you were. Yeah. So I definitely uh, wanted to make yeah. sure, and I definitely want to make sure I watched that so that we had common ground to talk about, but I also wanted to feel those differences. So think of like, uh, shots or exchanges between characters where it's just, there's a little bit more room to breathe. There's, there's a little bit more space in between the lines, not a lot, not like long pauses, but where it might be a line and reaction, you would get line, pause, reaction. Or a scene would just take a little bit longer to play out. So in in a lot of ways, I feel like the pacing is better when it's given that room to breathe. It's Because the, the director's cut is only about 10 minutes longer. So it's not like oh, it's a okay. huge okay. difference. But And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that, you know, that when they went and designed this film, they were trying to figure out a way to... Um, stretch out the screenplay for um, the doctor because well you know he had he had had enough pauses in his uh, storytelling (laughs) yeah so that is one so Kiefer Sutherland is uh, is in this as Dr. Schraber um, and Mm -hmm. he is working with the strangers Um, he is a human but he has a Sutherland made a very interesting choice in his character where he has this way of pausing and breathing all the time that he talks. And he, he does it throughout the movie as that character, which is good. I'm glad it's consistent, but it's very odd. Whoa, hold, and it, whoa, hold. Until he gets to the imprint. Well, the imprint, though, isn't... The imprint is memories of him. So it's different. Yeah, but there's no pauses. There isn't. But we don't know if the pauses come from what they made him do to himself and the experimentation uh, they did on him. Oh, you not. know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think okay, okay. I think that what we're led to believe with that and with the reveal of him doing what he's done, that the strangers experimented on him first. And mm. and that's why he's got the limp. That's why he's... Because if you notice in the, in the memories, he doesn't have the scar over the one eye, right? He doesn't have the, the eye that's, yeah, that's, that's correct, all scarred. Yeah. And when they had the flashback to him doing his own erasure of his memories, he's cut and he's, he's all beaten up. So I think that's where that speech thing came in. Now, whose choice that was, whether it was solely Kiefer Sutherland or if it was something that was written into the script, I'm not sure. What it did do is it made that character memorable. Because now you're going to remember. Oh, yeah. you're, you're not going to forget that, even if it was kind of annoying and could be difficult to listen to. But... I, I personally didn't mind it. it. Once once he gets about two sentences in, I'm good with it. Now, some of it is that the uh, I've seen the director's cut of this more times than I have the theatrical, and because it doesn't start with a voiceover of that cadence speaking for 30 seconds, it's not quite as annoying. <laughs> I don't know if that took away or added to the, the film. Um, because coming into the film... One, I don't know anything about it, mm-hmm. all right? And, yeah, it, it doesn't really unravel when John Murdoch comes out of the tub and, you know, it, it sees a dead body with, a, you know, the circles of death and uh, all that stuff. It almost looked like Jigsaw had his way. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling um, Jigsaw was in part uh, inspired by that. I, I, I have that I would, feeling. I would like, assume so, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, they're, they're the similar circles that mm-hmm. you would see on Jigsaw's face. And they, yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Um. The knives, you know, one of the things I didn't understand is the knife situation. Like, why did all of the, the shadow people or whatever, I don't remember what they're exactly called, but why did they all have use, utilize knives when they could be killed by a gun that they design? Right. So the idea, I think, and again, this is somewhat from interviews that I've read with Alex Proyas, the director and the, um, mm. the writer. He created the story as well the strangers aren't meant to be evil so much as kind of 
they're desperate to figure out this individuality of humans, which is apparently supposed to, to help them to survive. They're dying. So they're not evil so much as they are, they don't understand everything. Yeah. They wanted to create the, the essence of a soul. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be able to create the essence of a soul, they, they manipulate the imprints that they produce every night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I got that part. Um, the, the part that I didn't understand is they created a world. All right. They took these people. Mm -hmm. Um, let's just say the strangers abducted these people, created sure. a world around these people where they at night, at, at, I believe it's midnight. And I honestly think it's every 12 hours the way the movie kind of acts. Right. Um, you know, as soon as it hits noon, they created a new type of world, imprint new people. And so they can be able to determine what a soul may be. Um, the part that I have issues with is because they created this world and they're essentially creating the imp imprints. So they're, they're creating new memories and developing off these memories is, are they, you know, are they developing a world to where they can be able to control? Are they in a world or are they trying to create the soul like so that they can be able to live are they trying to use the implants so that they can continue implanting into people so that they can also have a soul? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there was so many stories that really weren't, in my opinion, weren't actually ex uh, explored. Yeah. Creating a soul is one thing. All right. But you know, when you have the, the same animal as like the facility and, and have the same, like, you know, uh, leech type, you know, mechanism, um, how do they become new strangers? How do they, yeah. how do they, you know, what, what's the purpose? Well, one of the just things, knowing what a soul is. Yeah. I, I would say one of the things that I liked about the movie is from a science fiction standpoint, it doesn't answer all those questions and it makes you think yeah. about it. So it works. So visually this was based off of some science fiction films, things like Metropolis and, and older sci-fi films like that. But conceptually, it feels much more like old sci-fi literature. And a lot of those stories would always leave you with a bunch of questions afterwards based on what you had read that would make you think about it more. And that's kind of the movie does that too. You're right. It can be a little bit frustrating when it doesn't answer certain questions. Yeah. But at the same time, it makes you think about those and it makes you want more. Like this would work, I feel like, really, really well in a comic book series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, 100%. And interestingly, uh, so famously this movie was known uh, because R Roger Ebert named it as one of his best movies of 1998. I think in, in the actual episode of like Siskel and Ebert, he said, to this point, this is my favorite movie of 1998. And he said in that show, he's like, I, I found out after the fact this wasn't based on a comic book and he was surprised by that. And I can completely see that because it feels like something that would have been a comic that was adapted into a film instead of the other way around. Alex Proyas actually came up with this concept and this story uh, just as an original story prior. He actually came up with it prior to working on the crow, which was his movie before this. So his previous directing okay. Okay. film was the crow. And he has said in interviews that part of uh, this movie was built when he was um, working on the crow and they were building sets and they were moving pieces around on the set to kind of get stuff. And he had this cool idea of like, oh, this would have been, this would be really cool to have this city where the buildings grow and shrink and, and change every night. And so that worked itself into the concept of this movie. And I, I, I like it for those aspects. I like it for the, the, the sci-fi part of it. One of my favorite parts is actually the, the climactic battle at the end is not okay. a physical battle, right? It's it's very yeah. much a sci-fi thing and like a sci-fi book. It's just two guys standing there thinking at each other. And that's the fighting. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of neat because it's not normally what you see in a film. Normally by the end of a film, yeah. it's it's fist fight, right? Because that's going to be yeah. more visually interesting to watch. Um, so there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, Crow, the Crow was an influence stylistically for Proyas and then he brought that into this. Uh, Diana in the chat brings up, you know, Brandon Lee might have been the main character in this had he not died making The Crow. 
because apparently they they talked a lot about upcoming projects, which would have been would have been pretty cool. But I also like the fact that our main character John Murdoch is played by Rufus Sewell, who mm-hmm. was pretty well pretty unknown at the point of this movie coming out. He's since done a few things. He was in uh, uh, a, a Night's Tale, Tale. yeah, um, and and a few other things. But him being virtually an unknown when this comes out, if you're going to see this yeah. in the theater, what I like about that is now you you can kind of connect with him because you have no idea what's going on as a viewer and he has no idea what's going on as the main character. So it gives you something to latch on to. Um, I liked him in this. I don't know about you, but I thought he played Murdoch well in that he's he's got an interesting look and he doesn't quite always look like like everything's firing on all cylinders. Correct. Uh, for me, when I saw John Murdoch, first, instant hate because of Night's Tell. Um, then, <laughs> Fair. Fair. okay, all right, um, you know, rest in peace, he's a ledger. Um, but um, and then when I see him going in through the process of, you know, kind of going to through the momento, you know, effect, um, where he's learning who he is, you know, mm-hmm. and then he's getting these memories, and then he's, like, backtracking. He goes to the, the, the prostitute. He you know, leaves a prostitute when he sees a shell beach. And then he starts going, how do you get to shell beach? He has all these memories of shell beach, but he doesn't recall how to get to shell beach. And then he little by little by little, he starts unraveling just this string of, you know, different theories, which then puts that seed of doubt in everyone else. He comes in contact with, yep. you know, like, like the police officers and, and, you know, um, that, that right there where he's, where he's doing that to me, it was like, yeah, that's what I would be doing in that situation. Sure. I don't know what the what the heck just happened. I know I didn't murder somebody, but what happened? Yep. Yeah, um, that, definitely, definitely. Uh, I thought he was a really good character. Um, I did see a lot of exploration, especially when he developed the powers. He de- like he knew that he had something because the first the first time he comes out of that tub and he starts, you know, accidentally did something. Then he did it again accidentally. And then he had the little mind thing at the the Shell Beach um, poster. Yep. And then he didn't utilize that until the very last bit of the battle. So, yeah, it, basically he doesn't have control over it. He Humans shouldn't be able to do... The, the ability in the movie is called tuning. And it's something that the strangers yeah. are able to do. They're able to tune. It's a psychic projection. They can change things by sheer force of will. And humans, to this point, we don't know how long they've been on this this floating yeah. s- city in space. But to this point, humans have not been able to do that. Then suddenly he can, but he can't control it. He doesn't know how he's doing it. He's doing it like a reflex. And mm-hmm. you're right, he doesn't use it. But it's in part because there's also this underlying thing where he still is a human and he still has feelings and he has feelings for... He, he has some feelings for the woman who is supposed to be his wife, who may or may yeah. not be someone he actually has any clue as to who she was prior to the events of this movie. She's played by Jennifer Connelly. Her name is Emma slash Anna at the end. But mm-hmm. he, when the when the strangers show up with her, they've kidnapped her and they're using they're holding her hostage. He he doesn't use his tuning ability there to kind of save her to keep her from getting hurt. But mm-hmm. then he's imprinted by Dr. Schraber and given kind of unlocking his abilities. And Schraber yeah. teaches him how to do it through that imprint. And then he just goes hog wild. And they have they have this big climactic, like, we're just going to make a bunch of stuff grow and shrink. And it, it's it almost looks silly, but for some reason I really, really like it. And I think it's because it's not the thing that you see in most movies. It's not the way you see, like, it's not the climactic fight that you get in a movie, uh, a sci-fi movie, typically. Like, The Matrix doesn't have that, right? The Matrix ends with a literal no. fist fight between two people. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of movies do that. And this one didn't, which I thought was an interesting choice. And I thought it was kind of fun to do. So, um, yeah. But I, it's Rufus Sewell, I, I think works well in this because he's just playing this kind of literal fish out of water at the beginning of it. I mean, complete with like knocking the fish bowl over and literally yes. we see a fish out of water. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so there's the symbolism there. There's a ton of hidden symbolism in this. If you notice 
all of the things in the city, all of the locations don't have names, right? The, the automat doesn't have a name. It's just called automat. The hotel is just yeah. hotel. They don't have names. Yeah, very generic. And I think a lot of that is because the strangers don't, don't understand how that works. So they just gave it generic names. And it's this weird, like pseudo forties, fifties era feel to everything. And it's always nighttime because they don't like sunlight. And yeah, uh, I love the aesthetics of this movie, uh, which I do want to talk about a little bit more, but there's some more cast members to talk about. William Hurt being one as inspector Bumstead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So origi- he's, he's, he's great. And originally the, the, the story was going to actually center on the detective character. So the way the, uh, from what I've been reading and, and researching and all that, the way the story was originally written was it was much more centered on that character and him dealing with this case and the, the details of the case become less and less, um, they make less and less sense until Mm -hmm. he finally apparently just loses it and goes crazy. And I think what they did was when, when the script was getting rewritten and reworked, they changed the narrative to, to focus more on John Murdoch and less on the detective, but they kept some of those elements in. So you have that other secondary detective, uh, was I think is his name who has gone crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they kept that aspect, but then they, they have Bumstead and it's, he's played by William Hurt, who is awesome always. I mean, he's just, Mm -hmm. He's a great, straightforward detective, and he's he's slowly realizing what's going on in some ways. It took, it, but it takes you him know, a while. I, I was, yeah, I was surprised honestly when he arrested him. You know, John, when he arrested mm-hmm. John Murdoch, and you know, he had him in custody. Um, the convincing that it took him to <laughs> make him uncuff him. Didn't seem like enough convincing for me. <laughs> you know what so, I mean? So, like, yeah. yeah. Um, can you can you tell me how to get to Shell Beach? Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so here's here is a part where the director's cut actually has a very big impact on the narrative of the film that got cut out, and it's sort of unfortunate because it would help for that scene for you. So, in the director's cut, there's. And in the theatrical, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where John goes to the automat because he left his wallet there. And he gets his wallet, mm-hmm. and as he's leaving, a couple of uh, on-duty police officers are talking to him, and a prostitute comes up and, and grabs him and basically was like, hey, guys, leave him alone. He's with me, and takes him, right? Yeah, that, and, that part was still in there. Yep, and that's May, and they go back okay. to May's apartment. So yes. it plays out exactly the same, except in the director's cut, there's a moment where he picks up a teddy bear Mm -hmm. and when he's standing there talking to her as she's undressing and putting her robe on, he looks over and a little girl peeks out from the bedroom door and it's May's daughter. So he has a little, you know, high waves to her. He leaves later on in the film when Emma goes to see her and is followed by detective Bumstead and they find Mm -hmm. May dead. They find the prostitute dead as they're sitting in her apartment and having a glass of water and talking, Emma hears something and finds the little girl hiding under the bed. Mm-hmm. And the little girl saw what happened with the strangers. And she drew a picture. And she drew a picture of her mom and three men in dark coats. And Bumstead sees that picture. Oh, uh, so yeah, that part would have definitely helped me out with the understanding of why he was able to get out of handcuffs pretty quickly because yeah. the way it was written in the theatrical, um, that like the seat of doubt was fast, man. Quicker yeah. than Jedi. So that's, <laughs> that's one of those where I really feel like that it doesn't change the narrative. It doesn't change the entire movie, but it makes a lot more sense for Bumstead to be like, you know what? Maybe this guy isn't completely crazy because he's had, mm-hmm. He sees the floating book. He sees a few things and add into it this picture from this little girl as well. It's one more layer on top of that that I think just adds to it. So you're right. In the theatrical version, it does feel yeah. like he he just comes to that conclusion a little bit quickly. Uh, he's a little yeah. more skeptical. There's uh, I love the the moment where he's got his accordion in the backseat of his car and Emma notices mm-hmm. it and he has that, you know, yeah, it was a gift from my mom, but... I can't remember when she gave it to me. And that's the other thing is he's, 
he that at that point he's slowly the the chinks in his armor are slowly you know getting stronger and the finding the girl's picture was right before that scene where he talks about I can't remember when I got oh, it from okay. my mother so it's like you compound what was Lusky told him what the the other detective kept saying to him on top of and weird then, occurrences yeah, start, on top of you know and it just it picks up and it layers on so you yeah know. the weird weird gamma jinga right there mm-hmm. um you know and it, you know once the detective was on board i felt like you know then the story started really kind of you know um, metastasizing a little bit and you could yep. start getting actually like an actual story because john murdoch on his own um yeah great story detective uh, uh crazy pants um going through the railroad and you know oh man trying to find the express route um that right there was you know it didn't make a make a whole lot of sense from my standpoint you know going okay well why can't he find an express route oh that was the express route well how do you get on that train you know they didn't really really dive into that like they never dived into why he could not get on that train other than the shadow people or you know the strangers or whatever you want to call them um basically didn't allow people to leave the the world. Yeah. So the, um, the, the whole idea was that they were giving just enough of that seed of like, here's Shell Beach, here's how you'd get there by the train, but you can only get to that stop with the express train and the express train never stops anywhere. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, that's all set up. And then the, the crazy detective is like, yeah, you can't get out of the city, but that's okay. I figured a way out. And how am I going to get out? I'm going to jump in front of this damn train. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was that was um, a good then, scene though. That was I. I that was yeah. I like that because I like giving closure to that character too. Yeah. It, well, you had to have some type of closure, um, you know. Otherwise, the story, you know, there was a lot of kind of open endedness mm-hmm. and yeah. to some of this story. Um, having some type of closure, especially with you know the part that was supposed to be what's his name, uh, the detective that didn't go crazy, Bumstead. Bumstead. Yep. Bum. Yeah, Bumstead. Um, and then this one, this one character, the detective that actually went crazy, they didn't really give him enough meat so that we can understand why he went crazy. But given that last bit of, you know, here, tear this off and then, you know, expose this world, that right there gave Bumstead enough ammunition and mental capability to be able to see, okay, maybe he was crazy for a reason. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. And it's a bummer that Bumstead had to die. That was a that was a bummer of a scene yeah. because they they get all the way to quote unquote Shell Beach, right? And they they break mm-hmm. through and there's that moment that's like the big because up until that point in the movie you you know something's weird. There's there's obvious the strangers aren't human and it's obvious something's going on. But up until that scene you're still somewhat under the impression that they're on earth. And then they break yeah. through that wall and all you see is space. And it's like, oh, damn. We're, we, we've <laughs> we're just had... we not in Kansas. Right. And the rug gets pulled out from under you. And now it's even, it's even weirder. And I kind of, I like, I like that. And again, that they, they wait so long to give you that in the director's cut. And that scene mm-hmm. is in roughly the same place in the theatrical. But because they haven't set up and, and given you that exposition right at the beginning of the movie it feels like you're you're peeling back layers when you get to that point yeah a little bit more yeah but i love that it's just a bummer that then we lose bumstead um and one of the strangers out the out into space and apparently that effect of the force field they had to add in kind of last minute because test audiences were like well wait if they're just floating around in space wouldn't knocking a hole in that wall you know get everyone blown out in space a vacuum yeah and yeah that's instant instantly what i thought i'm like uh wouldn't they all get sucked out and then I saw the the force field, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, aliens versus predators. We're good. We're good to go." <laughs> I loved Alex Proyas's line when when talking about that because he was like, okay, "At this point, the strangers can do all sorts of stuff. I just figured people would take that, but they didn't, so we threw the that effect in just to give it that one little little bitty thing." Um, now you mentioned him already, but we're going to talk about Richard O'Brien because. Mm-hmm the strangers were actually modeled after Richard O'Brien. The character of oh. Mr. Hand was written for him by Proyas because Proyas liked him so much. And yeah. he's fantastic. He's basically our antagonist. He, and 
because he sort of is, but he sort of isn't. Like he's kind of mm. Mr. Hand is kind of a tragic character in a way because he gets imprinted with the same cocktail of memories that they tried to imprint Murdoch with. And yeah, yeah, the the new memories, right? Or yeah. no, no, the the memories from prior. I thought it was that was they old were, memories. Yeah, they were the memories. So the way the story works out, the beginning of the movie is um, they were supposed to inject memories into Murdoch, but he woke up part way through, so he didn't get yeah. those memories in. So the strangers had Doctor Schraber recreate that set of memories, and then inject uh, okay. them into Mister Hand, so that they can use that to try and track. Um, Murdoch and find him. And okay. Okay. Uh, that's the part I didn't understand. Cause I okay. was like the, the needle broke at the very beginning. So why mm-hmm. would they use those memories? That would be the memories from the prior before Mr. Murdoch be, was going to be the new person. It was what, the way I understood it. Um, so that, I guess what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. Um, just the way I understood it was they would do it from the memories that they had from the last batch before Mr. Murdoch became, you know, the new character. Yeah, and what they did was they were using the same ones because he had part of them. And so with mm-hmm. part of those memories, they were going to try and, and trace him that way because he would. their thought was that he would be trying to figure things out based on those partial memories since that's all he would have. So if they have all of the memories, they can be a step ahead of him. And it sort of worked and it sort of didn't. But Richard O'Brien was so, so good in this. I loved Mr. Mm-hmm. Hand. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. He... I. Ever since I've seen this movie, I occasionally will do that whole like, uh, you know, um, throwing yes at the end of things. You know, Mr. Murdoch, yes. Like the way his cadence, (laughs) the way he spoke was so good. Like I loved that character and he's the main stranger that we deal with. Yes. We get him. There's Mr. Book. I love the names. Mr. Hand, Mr. Book, uh, Mr. Wall, who was played by Bruce Spence, um, the gyro captain from uh, Mad Max Two, the Road Warrior, and okay. uh, he's been in so he was in he had a bit part in uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. He was the um, if you ever saw the extended edition, and they have the black guard at the gate, the guy with the huge mouth. Um, he's only in the extended edition. He's the mouth oh, of no, Sauron. No, I don't think I've seen that one. Okay. Oh, okay. But no, he's he's one. in that he he's a character. Uh, he's an actor that when you see him in something, you remember him because he has a very unique looking face. And, um, he's also stupid tall, like six, 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 seven. And they even play that up a little bit more in this movie. Cause he just towers over everybody, but he's a very imposing looking figure. So having him as Mr. Wall was pretty cool. Um, he was the big, tall stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Mr. Hand, uh, uh, Richard O'Brien just kills it. And I also liked that. Uh, so there's four, there's kind of the four um, strangers that show up at the beginning of the movie. It's Mr. Hand, Richard O'Brien. Mm-hmm. It's Bruce Spence's Mr. Wall. They, and then they have two other ones, the little child and uh, another yeah. man. The, the man, Mr. Quick, is the one that dies. Um, but the little, quick. the little kid, uh, which is creepy, right? That's just a creepy character. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Was played especially by, when he's biting the fingers. Yeah. Oh, I know. He's got the nasty, gnarly teeth and all that. No. Uh, that was Mr. Sleep. Mr. Sleep was actually play, played by a pair of twins, uh, fraternal twins, a boy and a girl. And okay. I love the, the trivia that they were, they loved being in the movie, but they were mm-hmm. huge Rocky Horror Picture Show fans. Perfect. So they loved working with Richard O'Brien. Yeah. And and he would just like sing for them in between takes and all that kind of stuff. I I read like three different trivia bits that said kind of this a similar thing. So that just tickled me because how fun would that be to be those kids? Like you get to work on this movie oh. with with Riff Raff for crying out loud. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure, you know. You have to, you know, really Rocky Horror Picture Show first off is an amazing cult classic. Um, bringing Richard O'Brien into this film, you know, gives it that cult-like feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Mr. Han being the the character that he is, where he does have that still that riffraff feel to him, mm-hmm. um, but he also has more of like a uh, closed off but still open likeness to him. I really can't explain exactly what I'm trying to say, but the main purpose is Mr. Han was like very confident in who he was finding and figured by the information that he was seeing and his memories and stuff like that, 
was for certain without any doubt that he knew exactly where the guy was going to be at. Yep. And that was, um, everybody else had that seat of doubt. Well, I, Mr. Uh, who is it? Mr. S- the, the, the main guy, Mr. Mr. Smart, Book. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Book. Yeah. Um, well, Mr. Book says it's going to be this. He's like, no, it's not. We're going to go over here. <laughs> well, what I liked is like Mr. Hand is Richard O'Brien doing doing riffraff, but with the volume turned down, right? Like he's yes. not he's not bombastic. He's not. It's very subdued. His mm-hmm. tone that he used for his voice is creepy, but yeah, but creepy in a way where you kind of lean in and you want to hear more. You're like drawn mm-hmm. in by it a little bit. Um, at the time I thought I had to turn up the volume. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh no, I don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just such a fun, fun character. He, he gets the most lines of any of the, um, of any of the strangers. And I'm fine mm-hmm. with that because I could listen to him talk all day. Um, yeah. But I also liked how he, he changed when he got imprinted with the Murdoch memories to be a little bit more, he he was always fairly confident as Mr. Hand, but when he became kind of the Mr. Hand Murdoch, he kept referring to himself as we and mm-hmm. thought of himself as Murdoch. And like that confidence ramped up yeah, and became oh, yeah. more. And, and I love that. It, it was a well, it was, it was such a subtle change in the character. Like he became a little bit more gleeful in the, the darker aspects of things. Um, yeah, in the darker parts of those memories, the the serial killer parts of it, like Mister Hand latched onto that side of it, whereas John Murdoch was was trying to figure out if he was even capable of doing these things because it didn't feel right. Like it didn't. Yeah, the memories that, didn't feel like another... him to him, but to Mister Hand they fit, and that was just that's who he was now. So mm-hmm. I I love that like. He just give me more Richard O'Brien and things like seriously. He's so good. There wasn't I, there wasn't enough. And also he was uh, Phineas and Ferb's stepdad uh, in in the show Phineas and Ferb. He's uh, oh yeah Lawrence, yeah Lawrence yeah. Fletcher and he's great. So just more more Richard yeah. O'Brien, please. Yeah, there's not enough Richard O'Brien <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, but that was the other part. Okay, so when they were trying to create John Murdoch as a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the the memory swap and all that stuff. Um, one of the things I didn't quite understand is how come you know most other people were able to take that imprint and run with it as a serial killer and stuff like that. And I know he had the powers of the strangers, but how come he couldn't be imprinted? Like because Richard O'Brien, Mister Han was able to be imprinted, but John Murdoch wasn't able to be imprinted any further. So from what I gather and kind of my interpretation of it, number one is when they go to imprint Mr. Hand, if you remember the other stranger, Mr. Wall, mm-hmm. is very much against it. He's like, no, it's never worked before. Every time we've tried it, it's gone bad. Mm-hmm. We can't imprint their memories on us. Um, so there's that part of it. Like, And obviously it failed because by the end of the movie, he's like, look, I'm dying. This is not, yeah. this, this doesn't go well. But I think also... It was a combination of um, Murdoch waking up midway through the experiment, mm-hmm. so he didn't get the full dosage of uh, of memories. And yeah. I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think we're let we're we're to be led to believe that this is their first attempt at a serial killer. Yeah, that, I mean, they said the other serial killers were able to do it without any issue. So this would in this imprint would now Mr. Murdoch uh, when he was in the bathtub going through the imprint phase, they broke he woke up prior to the needle making impact into the skin, so that injection never made it into him um, until he was locked up into the I don't the the will of fortune uh, death spiral thing. So well I, he had part um, of the memories the shell beach and uncle carl and all that were partial memories yeah of, but those were that. from previous memories that's no that was from this one that was from the bathtub because oh okay because mr hand had the same memories he remembered shell beach he remembered uncle carl that's how he knew to go there and find mm-hmm. him there that kind of stuff so he he got part of them the problem was he didn't get all of it 
So he was then trying to piece it all together and he couldn't oh, remember okay. who he was. Plus, I okay. think, too, whatever previous killers that they had tried out with may have been predisposed to that. And this was the first mm. time they were trying it with somebody new because they talk about how they're swapping memories all the time and they're moving yeah. them from here to here. And that occasionally some people do wake up, i.e. the crazy detective, but they're usually able to just get rid of them or deal with them. Um, round them up and, and kind of take care of them. And he was one that they couldn't because uh, he woke up partway through and because Schraber didn't say anything about it. So, again, there's a lot of questions um, that you come away this, from this movie with that yeah. you want answers to. And I, I wish that it had been more popular and more seen when it came out. Because, again, this movie came out in 1998. It had a budget of about $27 million uh, in mid-1990s money. It made worldwide about $27 million. So one of the things was Alex Proyas had said, look, New Line should have just let me put out my movie, uh, the director's cut of it initially, and it would have done as well, if not better. Because yeah. it's just, I feel like it's a, it's a little bit better of a movie. But that's that extra 10 minutes and that's that kind of restructuring and, and there's those few little things that... that so I, I, it wouldn't have done worse. Let's put it that way. It wouldn't have been like this huge bomb if they'd put it out as the director's cut at the time. But it also, I don't think, killed it making a theatrical cut. Like it didn't drastically change things. But I wish that this would have been more popular because I think it would have... It could have had legs. I, I would love to see either a graphic novel series or like comic book series or even an animated series of this, I think would be really cool. Even a TV series, because a TV series would have been able to break it down a little bit more. You know, if you would have had chunks, like even a short series, um, mm -hmm. you know, one of those like six, six episodes, um, just giving that a little bit more runtime so you can have a better explainers. Um, I think you would have a better idea because the strangers really didn't you really didn't understand where the strangers were coming, why their, their yeah. uh, life force was being eradicated. You know, it would seem like they had enough uh, people to implant if they wanted to grow um, a new set of uh, strangers, but there was no explanation of what they were trying to do to create a soul, why they wanted to create a soul, because if, even if they created the soul, would that help them develop, you know, life sustainability? Right. None of that was explained. I think making a short series or even a, a, a an episodic show would have been able to give this a little bit more legs so you can have a better understanding of why the strangers were doing what they were doing. And because they weren't bad people, yeah, they abducted somebody. But yeah, they weren't bad people. Um, they just wanted to survive. Mm -hmm. Not yeah, they... knowing why they wanted to survive or not knowing how they could survive. That right there left so many loopholes. Oh, sure. Yeah, they're they're not an evil race, but they're definitely not uh, altruistic. Like they have, there's something going on. We don't fully understand it. We don't get all the answers. Uh, it, it does make me think. And Diana again in the chat brings up how great this this would be if it were done today. And I do think that if if this idea had come about for Alex Proyas today, you know, within the last five years, it would have been a Netflix series. He would have found a way to pitch it to Netflix or Hulu or somebody and make it oh, yeah. make it that way and this happens a lot with shows with movies that I talk about on here um I talked about it with Titan AE I remember I talked about it with Snowpiercer which did become a series yeah there's so much in sci-fi that works better when you have more time to tell your story and you can build your world this movie surprisingly for an hour and 40 minutes or an hour and 51 minutes, depending on which version you watch. So less than two hours, it does a pretty incredible job of world building and setup without feeling rushed. But it does still leave you with a lot of, lot of things that you're like, well, wait, hold on a second. And you want to know more. And that's where I think you could revisit this today and make something out of it. And people would be, it's got enough of a cult following that I think people would get yeah. into it if it were to be made now. Because there's so much cool like structure and bones to this this thing this story this idea of the strangers and this idea of using how do how do they focus pure will power into making 
things on is it is it something they could do in any environment could they be plopped down on a planet and start building a city there just by force of will or do they need whatever this floating disc in the machine was so yeah yeah there's all sorts of cool stuff like that um now yeah that'd be amazing i have to ask you about this because i'm very very curious to know while you were watching this movie did the look or the 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 aesthetic remind you of anything else uh one first thing i noticed was like like a gotham type feel to it okay um um there was it was basically that man uh, like gotham the but like the 1989 type gotham the you know the that's that's the, the aesthetic i had off of it okay Diana so, in the chat has brought up the the name that I was thinking of. Uh, if- yeah, the Matrix. I, well, so the Matrix. I, the way I thought about the Matrix in this film was a lot of the the doorways and the a lot of the the being able to pass through, um, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see the the buildings uprising as part of the Matrix as much, but so you know, no. That- but um, funny thing was the rooftops. Uh, those oh, sets were literally that. sold to the Matrix. Um, now, that's awesome. <laughs> I did see and I listened to an interview with Alex Proyas about the connections between the two because the Matrix came out in 1999, and when I covered that on the show a few months back with um, with Tanner, we talked about that and I mentioned the similarities in the look and feel of Dark City and the Matrix. And at the time, mm-hmm. I hadn't done a ton of research on Dark City per se, but I knew that they came out similarly. They both had that same kind of a look. They have a the 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 scenes set in the computer world in the Matrix have a very noir feel to them. This movie yeah. is much more that noir feel, but there's mm-hmm. that similar tone. There's a lot of stuff happening at night in both movies. Um, Proyas has said that he he actually filmed this in 1996. But it sat okay. on the shelf for a little while before it finally came out. It was supposed to come out initially in 97. It got punted and pushed back and ended up coming out in 98. But one of his producers on this, he said, um, who he doesn't work with anymore, went on to be a producer on The Matrix. And oh, okay. a so lot of that, that tone that and that feel. So there's connection there. So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say The Matrix ripped off Dark City because I don't think it's quite that simple. However... There's a lot of similarities, and if you if you are pre, uh, predisposed to thinking that something like The Matrix could have ripped this movie off, I can 100% see where you would get that, and there's definitely a yeah. lot of influence there, if nothing else. There's a lot of that same, because even the, the color palettes that they use, the, this movie, Dark City has a very green look to it. The, the lighting mm-hmm. and everything kind of skews yeah. green. The Matrix did a lot of that to show the computer world. And there's similar themes to is reality real or, or all of that. So, um, you know, there's just, there's that kind of stuff going on. There's a lot of similar DNA between the two. Uh, a thank you for buying the sets. I think would have been nice. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, It says a little homage or Easter egg. (laughs) Yeah. But there's definitely influence there. Plus Alex Proyas is uh, Australian and this movie was shot in Australia. Mm -hmm. So was the matrix. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on, but it does give you that same feel. And look, those weren't the only two movies that had that. There was another movie came out around the same time called the 13th floor that also dealt with kind of virtual reality and and weird questions of reality. And it had that same dark with green tint. It was a very nineties feel and look to go. Well, you know, that whole nineties was able to come up with all kinds of experimental type films and that which Mm -hmm. gave this one, the legs that it, it needed, you know? Oh, for sure. Um, I, we were watching the the last blockbuster, that documentary about the last, you know, what I mean? yep. uh, um, and they were talking about how that time period allowed, um, you know, like new line cinema to create films that you just aren't going to see now. You know, they're just not going to be developed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> being yep. able to reutilize site, uh, you know, sets and all that stuff from movie to movie, that's not unheard of. But taking, you know, so much of that, that green and all the homage, like, you know, the Easter eggs that you would want to call it, um, and developing it by the same producer, that's kind of, kind of a really cool little treat, you know? 
um there was other things that the reason i went with batman is um yeah rooftop fighting um then you have the the dick tracy type you know feel to it with the hats and and oh yeah. you know so it was like you know i had that whole little thing and then of course you know john murdoch you know trying to be his own little vigilante type detective mm -hmm. so there's all all kinds of little neat little tricks about this film um now one thing we do know about the strangers is they don't have a dental plan um <laughs> and they all they all are either extremely cold because they chatter their teeth very too often <laughs> so that's true well we're we gonna talk about their teeth <laughs> so there's a reason for that uh narratively and that is that the strangers are all aliens possessing dead bodies yes so these are dead and possibly decomposing bodies that they're they're reanimating and moving around in um which is another reason why you see none of them with hair or eyebrows or anything mm -hmm. like that, and they have that pale look. Um, so that I, I thought was was pretty interesting. And they don't like water. And then yeah, that, that and, that's the part that I don't understand is why would they develop a world that has water? Well, <laughs> so I mean? think about this though: they are experimenting on humans. Humans need water to survive, yeah. so there would be water available and around now there was one thing that i this was another trivia piece so again you, a lot of this trivia you got to take with a grain of salt but i thought mm -hmm. i found this one funny which was one night the set decorators were um spraying down the streets on the sets in order to just give it a cool look and william hurt uh supposedly said to the director wait if the aliens if the strangers don't like water why would they have water all over the streets and proyas just looked at him and said because it looks cool He's like, maybe that wasn't the right answer. I don't know. But but it's it's true. Um, it, also, by the way, this entire movie was, save for the shot right at the end where they're standing on the pier, that was like yeah. the only exterior shot done for this entire movie. That whole city was created on sets. All of that was built oh, okay. for the movie itself. Um, but and what I'm, what I'm trying to get at, okay, they're creating this memory of Shell Beach, right? Mm -hmm. They don't like water. Why wouldn't they go to like, cabin fever or you know mountaintop land or something like that where they wouldn't have the the theory of water as one of their main things to, well, to look forward to i have to wonder because if you remember in the matrix one of the things that agent smith talks about was the first matrix built was a utopia but yes. all of the humans rejected it right because it was too yeah, because perfect they needed to have pain they needed mm -hmm. to have anger yeah and I wonder if there's there's some of that going on in this. They're just not they're not coming right out and saying it, but perhaps an early version of the experiments they tried that and they realized no, we've got to have something uh, dealing with kind of an ocean or getting out of the city, something that isn't the city. And yeah. what would be by a city would probably be an ocean, based on what they would know from memories from people especially if they took all these people from the same spot. Like if they abducted just a city's worth of people and this city is Chicago or New York or something like that, they're going to, all these people are going to have memories because that's what they have to build everything off of is the memories of the people that they have. Yeah. Okay. And so that's my guess. That's, that's my best guess is that that's what people remembered. So that's what they had to go with. But again, these are, are interesting things because yeah, why didn't they think of like using a mountain or a, a hill getaway or, you know, skiing or something like that? Like there's all these different things they could have done. Um, but the, those are the, the questions that you have to ask yourself. And that's where I say, I can see the, the sci-fi literature influence in this story. Um, yeah. I mean, I could definitely see the sci-fi in this, um, going to the bathhouse as like a getaway was pretty slick on the doctor's end, in my opinion, because you oh, know sure. he knew he knew their one weakness. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go right here. <laughs> you're gonna come get me? Come yeah, I'm in the middle. I'm gonna, in the, I'm gonna to... stay in the middle of the pool. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to come and and hang out with me. Um, and I yeah. like that. Now, what I did like too was uh, the moment where uh, one of the strangers moves. Uh, he tunes and he moves the ladder from one end of the pool to mm -hmm. the other so that Kiefer yeah. Sutherland has to then swim back across the pool. Uh -huh. uh, I, I liked that. That was a fun <laughs> little like, yeah, oh, you want to play games? We'll play some games. Um, yeah, well, we can do what you can do, but better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I think ends up being with this movie that I just like a lot is 
is that it uh, it makes you think, it makes you question things, but it's good sci-fi. It's it, it's not a it's not an action movie with sci-fi elements. It's a straight up sci-fi story being told. It's a very small scale story. It just takes place in that one city. Um, I just I love the ideas of it. I love the moment where you know the city shuts down and everything turns off and everything goes to sleep and they go through and they're tuning and they're changing everything and it's you're watching all this happen and Murdoch is just he's lost he has he can't figure out why this is happening and why it's not happening to yeah. him and they can't the strangers can't figure out why it's not happening to him so yeah I just okay so I really just like real that. quick yeah all right the power of tuning where they're able to adjust the city they're the the making the whole world go to sleep you know all that stuff john doesn't go to sleep john mm -hmm. witnesses all this happening all right now at the very end when riffraff tries to make him go to sleep mr han um tries to make him go to sleep at first he couldn't make him go to sleep did john have to submit yes to that's what i kind of thought in fact, he because even tells like, him to. He tells him to submit or to uh, give yourself up and then tells yeah. him to sleep, and that's when he does. Okay. Because yeah. I was, like, trying to figure out, like, you know, because he was able to stay awake the whole time, like, why would that work, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, uh, he basically but, allowed it so that Emma wouldn't get hurt. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay. All right. But how cool, yeah. by the way, how cool is that moment early on when they're on the billboard? And Mr. Han mm -hmm. just says, sleep now. And you get the reaction. You you flip the shot to John, who does nothing. And it goes back to Mr. Han. And he's just like blinking like, what the hell? <laughs> I yeah. love that. That is such a great reaction from that character. Like, might be yeah. my favorite just shot in the movie. is just Because it's just the big blink. Like, the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah. Because you see it and later then, on. Everybody he goes up to sleep. And they're just out out you can out. just make everybody yep. go to sleep at any point and and that i believe is supposed to be some sort of a hypnotic suggestion oh okay to similar to jedi powers yeah kind of like that yeah okay <clears throat> yeah because i was like because then he wakes up in the middle of the elevator ride um you know then has to get put back to sleep you mm -hmm. know it's just like okay so he his capabilities you know one is larger than that whole colony because he eradicates them. Yeah. All right. He eradicates the whole colony of, of aliens. Then he gets the, the world by himself to rotate towards yeah. the sun so he can be able to. All right. <laughs> it took him a whole colony to be able to do that. You yeah. know, like, how does that work? <laughs> well, yeah. And that's that's a great question because, like, is it is it something to do with it being a human that can tune? You know, whatever tuning is, is it is it some sort yeah. of a mishmash of those things? And that's where, again, that longer form story, the ability to to stretch that out over time, and we can dive into what tuning really is and how it works. Yeah. And you know, the fact that one man can uh, can utilize his tuning ability into the machine and have it affect the whole thing, where it took this whole colony of the creatures. Now, did he tune that into the machine? Because the machine, I thought, broke. Well, the big clock is the machine, and that was what he was staring at when he started doing it. So I assume okay. that the machine was still there. Because I think he even okay. says to Dr. Schraber, like, you know, I can do this if I concentrate hard enough. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Yeah, I saw that. But I thought that when, when he was going through the process of, you know, chop suey with uh, Mr. Book and the rest of them, um, it seemed to me like the, the machine also, like, dropped and fell yeah. down and... So I was like, well, maybe, maybe the machine isn't a necessity. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's just, maybe there's something in there that just gives him that, that ability to turn the world. I don't know. Um, but watching him basically take out everybody, he has to be powerful. He has oh, to be extremely, sure. extremely powerful. You know, make Miss, Miss Marvel, uh, look like a weak sauce, you know, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. And yeah. you know, the movie does like the right amount of hand waving of mm -hmm. don't don't worry about this part it just this is how it works yeah. it does the right amount of that where it's still like what you're watching is compelling enough that in the end you just don't care like i just didn't care that i didn't get those answers while i was watching this movie i had mm -hmm. the questions but like how does gravity work on this thing what's creating the gravity is there something because there, there would have to be something spinning 
and create the mass and create the gravity. Yeah. We don't know. It's just a big disc floating through space. <laughs> and is it going somewhere? Is it just in one central location? Was it, you know, was that, that star always there? Like they mm-hmm. were just the perfect distance away, but they never turned it over. To, like there's all sorts of questions like that. Cause if, if the, the sun was, you know, if that sun was below the horizon, wouldn't it have been hitting the lower part where all the strangers are? Would, re, would reside. Yeah. Right. You would think and, so. And you, you would think so. Cause then, yeah, it just didn't make sense. Um, and that, that portion didn't make sense. And then what happens? Do they go back to the world that they came from or, you know, cause nobody has the memories that they once had. Right. So, where right. would you go? And that's where I think <laughs> a sequel and continuing the story would be interesting. You know, what does Murdoch do with this new power that he has? How does it mm-hmm. change him? Like, there's a lot of stuff like that that you can ask and you can you could explore if you were to continue on this story. Yeah. But I also appreciate the fact that as a standalone movie, it's very enjoyable to watch, even with all those questions. Um, it's like I said, it's that perfect amount of hand waving where it's like. Look, it's sci-fi. Don't worry about it. It's and that makes me feel like old sci-fi books, like old, old uh, episodes mm-hmm. of the Twilight Zone or old Robert Heinlein or you know, yeah, all these all these old pulp novels and pulp stories where they were just like, look, it's sci-fi. We're gonna we're gonna give you something weird, and it's probably not gonna make a whole lot of sense. Don't think about it too heavy. Just enjoy. You know, it's yeah. that uh, it's that Stan Lee <laughs> idea of like, look, gamma rays. They made the Hulk. How does that work? I don't know, but gamma rays make you green. And there we are. That and you have a Hulk. Um, That's, that works for me. I'm yeah, going to go fine. with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, I I really really enjoyed this movie. It's hard for me to say it is the best film of 1998 because there were some good movies that year. Um, it's been brought up by some folks in the chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, American History X and Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski, I love, and that movie came out the same year. I love the Big Lebowski. But this is, dude. yeah, this is such a good sci-fi movie. And I think part of my love for it is, is that it tried something different. And I do like mm-hmm. Alex Proyas as a filmmaker visually. I think his visual style that he, he kind of refined. So The Crow is his second feature film. And he took a lot of what he had been doing with The Crow and rolled it into this. He went on to do iRobot with Will Smith. Oh, great movie. And, Another great um, movie, absolutely. Uh, Exit Was it Exodus or Gods of Egypt? He did another one like that. Um, but he... <laughs> but he, the... he has just a, a really cool visual style that I, I really dug in this movie. Um, I just wish more people would see this. I'm glad you got to see it. Uh, and hopefully yeah. as, as maybe the years go on and the cult status can get a little bit, uh, bigger, um, more movies, uh, more, more moviegoers will see this. I'd like to, I'd love for it to get into like a streaming service. Cause it's not on a Netflix or Hulu or anything. Somebody has got to pick this thing up and put it out there and just let people see it because it's honestly, well, now that I've purchased it, at least I'm the one person to purchase it this year. So there you go. I feel, per- I feel pretty good about that. So, Yeah. Uh, well, hey, look, I'm really glad that you got to see this, uh, and I'm and, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. That I think is the bigger one because this could have been a movie that you definitely did, wouldn't have liked, and I would yeah. have understood that. But I, I much prefer that you enjoy uh, when you get to see something new, especially given that you bought it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and, and I make sure I have it downloaded to my phone because you know you gotta make sure you have your Amazon offline. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, one of the things I, I did like about this movie is it is aesthetically pleasing. Um, I, I'm a big, big person when it comes to everybody's wearing the same thing, you know, kind of gives that little undertone. You can kind of see the separation between the people. I love when everybody falls asleep in their cars. Oh, yeah. And like hits a breakfast table or dinner table. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're rich. Yep. You know what I mean? That that right there was, you know, being able to change your lifestyle um, this, this one is like straight up for the secret, um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and being able to see, you know, the development of, oh yeah, I've lost this case, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and just, <laughs> um, it was very interesting how they went throughout the storytelling, um, of, of the development and implant, implanting with the new memories and all that stuff. Um, 
one of the things I, I really, really enjoyed was how even the, um, the strangers didn't know how close those buildings would get and they would still get caught in the stairwell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and be, a, you know, also be eradicated Yep. <laughs> when they're the, when they're the ones that are trying to save the world. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, because even them, they weren't safe. They weren't safe by the, the world that they designed. Yeah. So that, that also is another story that they really can, you know, develop on if they really chose to. Yep. Hey, look, Netflix or Hulu or whoever, like take our advice, make yep. option this, talk to Alex Proyas, talk to New Line Cinema, get the rights for it. Somebody take this and run with it make, make us something good. Cause I think make there's a, a lot, there is a lot to explore and it, it sets up some really interesting stuff. I want to know more of, of this world, of these strangers, of this tuning ability. Mm -hmm. How did it, uh, how did it come about? All there's so many different ways you can go with this that I, I think would be just great. So, and look, if you haven't seen the movie and we've already spoiled it all for you anyway, go out and watch it, find yeah. it, watch the movie. It's a rental for three bucks, um, on most mm -hmm. places. And it's absolutely worth seeing. It's really a fun movie. Um, which is interesting to say for a movie that has literally no levity in it whatsoever. There's no humor throughout the entirety of this no. movie. Unless you like laughing at people's demise. I mean, that's okay, that yes. kind of funny. Yeah, that's true. Dude, dude <laughs> getting squished between a couple of buildings was pretty good. Yeah, that one that was pretty good. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. It's been mm -hmm. uh, I I told you we'd have you back at some point. I'm glad we got to have we we got to do this again. Um well, I'm 2 for 2 on movies, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and now Dark City. So, we've had some Absolutely, man. I'm I'm glad to come back and we'll try to, you know, I'll try to get the green tone a little better on my shirt so we can match a little better. <laughs> yeah, we have um, different greens going may, on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. I tried That's my best. Right. You you said green. I went with, you know, my my Zelda shirt, hey, so I was like, all right, you know. I can't I can't fault that at all. <laughs> Um, yeah. So if you want to be like, uh, Diddy or Diana or Phelan and hang out in the chat room while we record this show, um, you can do that. We record on Twitch, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. I do this every week, Sundays typically. Um, and if you follow me on Twitter at TV's Travis, you'll see the, the go live announcements when I'm, when I'm ready to go. I do have a discord, um, and I'm going to be, I'm working on some stuff with that to open it up to more people. Um, so if you want to you get involved in that, um, that should be coming soon. Again, watch Twitter for more info on that. And the show comes out on Wednesdays, and you can find it anywhere you get podcasts. And if you do listen to the show, um, if you can give a rating and review, that helps the show become more discoverable for other people. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, uh, until next week, um, I just want to say uh, thank you again, David. And uh, everybody enjoy your movies. Um, you know, it's it's a weird, weird kind of world out there, but it's getting better. So we should be excellent to each other. All right. This has been what you haven't seen. Murdoch, yes. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>